Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Starting in verse 12, I'll read verse 12 through 23, the end of the chapter. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight. You think grace is important to God? Long before the New Testament, folks. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he, being Moses, said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, and all the people upon the face of the earth? So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Second time he says this. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be that my glory passes, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would speak, Lord, would minister, Lord, would open every eye, every ear. Thank you for your grace. Lord, so clearly magnified, even in this passage, that you want us to know that those who have humbled themselves before you have found grace in your sight. Lord, I pray that we would not receive the grace without being changed and transformed by it. It's one thing to hear it, Lord, but it's another to be completely and radically changed by that grace. And I pray that that is what you would do here this morning. Even those of us already saved, you will transform us even this morning from glory to glory, for you have a lot more work to do in all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I've titled our time and God's word this morning, His Gracious Compassion. His Gracious Compassion, I've divided the text into three sections that we'll look at this morning. His grace, His guarantee, and His glory. His grace, His guarantee, and His glory. You know, I want to read um, something kind of humorous to start off with. Uh, A first grade teacher, she had 25 students in Clarkston, Mississippi, and she presented each child in her class with the first half of a well-known saying or proverb. You guys are going to recognize these, especially you adults. You've grown up hearing these. I I think of these also as kind of like cliches that we've heard most of our life, these proverbs, uh, uh, these wise sayings, and she would give half of the saying and let the first graders fill in the second half. 
This will get interesting when you do this with kids. Because if they don't know it, they're going to come up with something, aren't they? And it's hard to believe uh, that some of the answers were actually given by first graders. Uh, Their insight might even surprise you. Uh, But while reading, keep in mind, these are just six-year-olds. Because the last one is a classic, kind of sad in a sense, but uh, yet this is what they came up with. This was the first one. Don't change horses until they stop. Strike while the bug is close. (laughs) It's always darkest before daylight savings time. Never underestimate the power of termites. You can lead a horse to water, but how? Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. No news is impossible. A miss is as good as a mister. You can't teach an old dog new math. If you lie down with dogs, you'll stink in the morning. Love all, but trust me. The pen is mightier than the pigs. An idle mind is the best way to relax. Where there's smoke, there's pollution. Happy the bride who gets all the presents. A penny saved, I love this one, is not much. I'm going to start using that one. Two's company, three's the musketeers. Don't put off till tomorrow what you put on to go to bed. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you will have to blow your nose. There are none so blind as Stevie Wonder. Children should be seen and not spanked and grounded. If at first you don't succeed, get new batteries. You get out of something only what you see in the picture of the box, on the box. When the blind lead the blind, get out of the way. That's pretty wise, isn't it? Should tell a lot of people in churches that false doctrine is being taught. And this is the last one. Kind of says a lot about our day and time. Better late than pregnant. I don't know where they came up with that. But these are six-year-olds. Hard to believe that. Now, these kids' answers, they're funny. Uh, And and some of them have merit, don't they? Some of them have some uh, out-of-the-mouth-of-babes merit. Uh, But they're actually incorrect, aren't they? They're not correct. They they don't have the right uh, understanding of the terminology. They don't have the right understanding of the proverb. And I think this is the same with many people, uh, even many believers, when it comes to understanding God's grace. They don't really grasp it all. They don't understand it. If you'd ask them to fill in the blank, they would give a bad description of grace. Paul talked about this. You've been our study in Romans. Some people thought that to understand God's grace meant you could do anything you want because God's grace covers it. Other people, yeah, they constantly live in uh, some sort of torment 
because they don't understand God's grace. They don't understand that God actually will forgive you for mistakes you did yesterday and give a fresh start. It's not a license to sin, but it also doesn't leave you there. All these kind of misunderstandings, God's grace is often misunderstood. It's misrepresented. And ultimately, and many believers, it's unappreciated, isn't it? And when it's unappreciated, it's not applied. If you're here with us on Wednesday, we talked a lot about uh, this past Wednesday um, about applying God's grace. We've talked about that throughout our study in Romans as well. Of course, we're in Ephesians 6 this past Wednesday. But when you think about God's grace, we are forgiven by grace. We're saved by grace. We're trained or discipled by grace. We're loved by grace. We're kept alive by grace. We have absolutely nothing zero to boast of at all, only to be thankful for that grace. Amen? Nothing. Nothing you've ever done well, nothing you've ever accomplished. Moses, he couldn't look to anything he had ever done. He could only say, if I've found grace, if I've found grace, if I've found grace. Moses knew the only thing that he had to show for in his life, even though he did many great works for God, those works were done in grace. In grace. By God's grace. We talked about last time we were together, the week before last, the last thing we really want from God is fairness. Amen? Remember that? We talked about that. We do not, don't ever pray for fairness. Bad prayer. You pray for fairness, you now are asking God to judge you according to his perfection. You pray for mercy and you pray for grace. But when you pray for mercy and grace, you have to humble yourself and say, Lord, whatever thy will, whatever you ask me to do. We pray and we pray for mercy and grace. God knows all of our flaws. He knows our failures. He knows our shortcomings. We're constantly coming to him for mercy and grace if we found grace. And again, I look at the life of Moses. You look at a man who had such a holy and pure life comparatively to other people, even among his peer group, this would be the case. And yet he constantly here references this amazing grace that we sing of. But do we just sing of it, or do we really understand it? Do we really appreciate how compassionate God is, how gracious he is? He says in verse 12, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send. You know, God had relented in verses, uh, we saw this, where he relented uh, back in verses 7 through 11, and even Moses took his tent, remember, and he went outside the camp because he needed to press into God, and he needed to say, I need to have your presence more than anything else. He says it again here. He's like, Lord, I, I would rather, if your presence is not with us, don't even take us to the promised land. We don't, need a milk we don't need a land flowing with milk and honey if you're not going to be there. Now, God's already said, I, I, I relent, and Moses still wants to, he wants to, you ever want to know that you know that you know something? You read something in the, in the scripture, you ever look for an answer, and, and you get an answer, and you say, just five more of those, and you'll search again. Oh, what? All right, Lord, I think I heard, let me hear it again. You search again and say, I think I heard it. 
I need to really hear it. Give me a weird phone call. Give me something, Lord, something that shows me. And so this is basic. This is kind of the heart of Moses. He knows God's grace, but he needs God to confirm it to him. He has a close relationship, but he, he wants to really, Lord, I need to know. I really need to understand. I really need to know that you will be with us. He's pleading in grace for this, saying, God, I know you're gracious. Show it to me. Confirm it to me. And because of God's grace, where he's asking, Lord, I need to know you're going to consider this nation. You're going to go with us. If your presence won't go with us, we don't want to go. He's speaking for everybody else. Now, some of them might have said, oh, no, 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 we're good without God. I like it when God's not around. I'm not convicted of anything I do. I'm pretty happy to go to the land of milk and honey. Moses, you speak for yourself. Me, on the other hand, as long as God's going to give me a nice house in the promised land with five flat screens, uh, we've got all the time in the world, built-in swimming pool, nothing but blessings upon blessings upon blessings and blessings, and I don't feel the conviction of God, I'm pretty happy. And Moses said, you can have it. I'd rather stay in the desert with the presence of God than have all that stuff. You know, you can't, you cannot come to that thinking by just saying, I'm going to think like Moses. You can't. You cannot. You, the, the power of the world, the magnetic pull of the world is so strong. This is why it's a broad road. This is why it sucks like a magnet millions into hell every day. You have to actually abide in the grace of God. It transforms your thinking. It is not natural for a person to pray, I would rather stay in a desert and be with God than be in a beautiful, gorgeous, blessing-filled place, but not have the presence of God. That is supernatural. But you can't conjure it up in your mind. You can only come to that way of thinking by abiding in the grace of God. See, Moses had already abided in the grace of God for so long, he was starting to think like the Lord. Even to the point where, remember, he prayed, Lord, let me be accursed that they might live. Crazy prayer. Wasn't it? Blot my name out of your... This is thinking like the Lord Jesus, let me die that they might live. Now, he's not perfect. He's not Christ. We're talk, But again, the more he abides in the grace of God, the more he trusts that he can come to God in grace and plead with him. But, he's, but even still, faith is there too. Faith of a mustard seed. God's already said, look, you know, I'm going to go with you. But he keeps pressing the point. I need to know, Lord. I need to know. Uh, the nations around us will probably mock us and laugh at us. They're not going to think you're really with us. I need to know you really will be with us. It's interesting that God makes... The longer we experience grace, he makes us hunger more for it. More and more for it. And certainly Moses had experienced it. But because of grace, because of grace, God grants him and says, I will be with you. My presence will go with you, verse 14, and I will give you rest. 
Back in Genesis chapter 6, first time we see grace mentioned in the Bible, what does it tell us? It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. Noah lived in a time like our own day. We don't even know, uh, we don't even know how much the world had advanced before the flood. I believe, I believe it was far more advanced than we actually believe it was. This is by my own opinion. I don't know what that means. I'm not saying that they had laptops then, though they could have. You would say, that's impossible. Is it? God destroyed every single trace. And wouldn't it be just like God that the only thing remaining is they start out in a wood boat? Remember, I, I've said before, when they built the wooden ark, you think it, everyone thinks, oh, it's so weird they built that. It might have been weird because it was antiquated. Now, I'm not saying. I have no idea. I wasn't there. All we know is that the world was much advanced. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Man's pride was lifted up. The whole world thought it could, it, the world thought it was bigger than God. Big mistake, wasn't it? They truly thought they knew more than God. They were smarter than God. It's just like today. All the town of people, Ray Comfort just this week uh, 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 sent out a tweet and put on his Facebook about you know, four or five more days till his movie Evolution vs. God comes out. Within minutes, the vile and the venom from atheists back to him, uh, cursing him out and all kinds of stuff and mocking God. And Peter said there'll be mockers in the end times just like there were in the days of Noah. And so what was it that Noah had that no one else? He found grace. He wasn't better than the people around him. He wasn't more special. He simply cried out for grace and received it. And then grace is what then transforms. And just like Noah got a guarantee, God says, I'm going to preserve you and your family. But here's the deal. Do what I say. What does that mean? Build this ark. Now grace, when we receive grace, God will give us promises, but we must walk in them. Amen? He'll give us promises, but you can't get a promise from God saying, God, if God tells me and my family, I'm going to preserve you, but I want you to do such and so. Like he told Noah, I want you to build an ark. Thank you for the grace, but I don't believe that I'm not going to build an ark. The grace isn't applied. The guarantee comes from God. Let's look at this guarantee. The guarantee comes from the Lord, but at the same time, we have to walk in that grace. We have to appropriate that grace. His guarantee, we looked at his grace, Moses presses the Lord. For then how will it be known that your people and I have found grace? How will it be known? Except you go with us. Now God said, I'll go with you. And Moses still presses the point and more, uh, some more. In verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, reassures him again. Moses needs a guarantee. God says, I also will do this thing you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Aren't you glad God knows you by name? I love that song. I've mentioned it before. I used to sing it when I was at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. He knows my name. Beautiful song. I'm glad he knows my name, but Moses presses the Lord. He knows he's covered by the grace of the Lord. His walk with the Lord is right. Is your walk with the Lord right? When your walk with the Lord is right, you can pray with a fervency. When your walk with the Lord is right, there will be no fervency in your prayer. It'll be dry. It'll be flippant. 
it will be different than a fervency. Moses can pray with a fervency because he's in the presence of his heavenly Father. He has the relationship to beg on a way that you know, only your children can, can get away with saying certain things to you. You know what I mean? There's a relationship there. They can have a fervency. They can overstep their bounds too. And so can we. Moses doesn't overstep his bounds here because he, st- he keeps pleading in grace. If he flips and starts pleading and I deserve, got a whole different prayer life going on here, right? He stays within the grace, but he needs to know, Lord, I need more of you. I need you. We need you. We can't go forward without you. And you know, God loves when we acknowledge that we can't go forward without him. Do you know how much God loves that? Jesus said it. You hear me say it all the time. I bet you I say it. You probably get tired of me saying it, but I don't care because Jesus said it. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you knew nothing else and you knew that, it could be transformational to everything in your life. If you believe, I mean really believe, I really believe, if we absolutely believe that apart from Christ we could do nothing, but I don't think we always believe that, do we? We believe there's certain things that can't be done without God's help, but there's a whole list of things that can be done quite easily without God. Right? And if you're trusting in your intellect, your ability, your physical health, any of which God can say, all right, if you trust in those things and I take them away, well, then you understand that you can't do anything without me. It's a good thing to believe right now today it is transformational in our life. And Moses knows, Lord, apart from you, we have nothing. We are nothing. And God loves that attitude. He loves when we really believe. He's like, you know, Moses, if God is talking to the Trinity, you know how in the book of Genesis it says that, that God is talking to the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are talking amongst themselves, let us make man in our image. The, the Trinity talking says, Hey, Moses gets it. He's come to realize that nothing can be done without me. And on that, God looks favorably. There's no hindrance here in Moses' prayer. He has a confidence and the relationship to ask for the Lord, from the Lord confirmation that indeed you'll go with me. And we know that in a few minutes we'll talk about he even asked for more than that. He keeps asking Jesus talked about that, the person that keeps asking, keeps asking, keeps asking, keeps pressing. God's not bothered by that because that person hungers and thirsts for righteousness versus someone who has a tiny little taste for it. Moses is in a dry and thirsty land for more of the Lord. Many ask God for confirmation. Many here, you've probably prayed to God recently for confirmation or an answer for something. Many people pray to God and ask for things, but they don't hear because there's a hindrance between them and the Lord. The Scriptures say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I know that people don't like to hear that, but that is true. You cannot live a life of sin and also have a fervent prayer walk with the Lord. You can't live a life of sin and hear from God. You can't live a life in sin and desire His presence. And but there's other things. 
Sometimes it's not just you know, living a life of sin or wickedness. Sometimes it's just that, just that subtle, resistant spirit that settles in our heart, right? A little bit of disobedience. I'll put that off till later, Lord. Pride. Pride's a bad one, isn't it? These things, they would get in the way. But Moses has yielded to the Lord. He's not perfect. That's why he's talking about grace. He's abiding in grace, but he's yielded, completely yielded to the Lord. And when he is, he can come to God and he can ask and boldness. You know, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. There it is again. Grace to help in the time of need. Moses knows the time of need is going to be forever unless you go with us. Always going to be a time of need. There's always a time of need. Our whole life is a time of need. Needing God's grace and needing His presence, needing His mercy. Notice in Hebrews 4.16, again, we don't find fairness in the presence of God. We find mercy and grace. But we can come boldly. How do we come boldly? We come in the grace. You can't come boldly outside of grace. We're covered by the blood of Jesus, which is the grace. My own children... They should feel that they have a special access to me. How about your kids? They should feel they have a special access because of the relationship. They're your blood. They're your flesh. They should feel a special access. They should always have that special access. And those of us who are God's children, we know we have that access. We don't know it in pride. We know it in humility. Because we, unlike our children that we've had through birth, we've been adopted into this relationship. God has hand-picked us, as it were, came and said, I take you out of the slum and squalor of sin in this world, and I adopt you into my family. And now I give you special access to come into my presence. Moses had done, God had actually done this literally and figuratively in Moses' life numerous times, all the way back to when he was a baby. He was thrown in, he was supposed to be killed and thrown into the Nile. Instead, God adopted him through a real adoption. Pharaoh's daughter, through a real adoption, and God says, ultimately, your adoption is an adoption to me. And he would come to know that and had that relationship. And then God would come to him. Again, when we seek and desire the presence of God, it's because he sought us first. We know that the burning bush, Moses was not looking for God specifically at that moment, but God was looking for him. And God does that. And we then have that relationship, and we have the access that our children should have with us. But Moses is pleading with the Lord. What he desires more than anything else is personally and for his nation, God's presence. And not only that, remember this is coming on the heels of great sin, right on the heels of the golden calf. He's yearning that all of the people, not just him, but all the people, Aaron who had blown it, all the people would have a total restoration and total forgiveness. When I meet people, that are still outside of God's grace. It breaks my heart to see they live in such a way that they have no idea how much 
God would cleanse and forgive. And Moses wants the people and the children of Israel to experience the same relationship that he has. He knows it doesn't happen overnight. They will have access to it, but they'll have to grow and continue to die to themselves and continue to yield. And Joshua, his understudy, will continue to grow that way. Aaron grows that way. The people, but he's desiring more than anything else that God would restore this relationship, not just to go with them, but to be with them. Do you understand the difference what I mean by that? Not just to go with them. You ever had someone that's with you but not really with you? If they have a smartphone, you've experienced this a lot, right? Yeah, they're there physically, but nowhere there. I've been guilty of this, by the way, myself. I can call myself out, and I can call other people out. I've been to places where I've looked at, I'm like, that whole family, every one of them is on a smartphone. Yeah, they're together, technically, but they're really somewhere else in the world. But God, Moses said, I I don't want just God with us, or, or going with us, but being there with us, ministering to us, speaking with us, protecting us, sheltering us, changing us. And he, God promises. God gives a guarantee. We, you know, you and I, our guarantees don't mean a whole lot, do they? You ever promised something and not delivered? Everyone has. It's part of our humanity, part of our... Now, we want to learn to grow as believers not to make promises that we know for a fact we can't keep. And we want to say, Lord willing... Unless I die or get sick or something else, I will finish this. And then when we don't, we need to be accountable to say, you know that thing I said, I totally blew it. I forgot. But God, when he makes guarantees, praise the Lord, they never, ever fail. He doesn't make any promises that he can't or won't keep. He says, this thing I will do, this thing I'll do. For you have found grace in my sight. Now God reconfirms, say, I'm going to do it. And it is because of grace. I'm gracious. I'm full of compassion. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to restore the relationship. He promises not to forsake Israel, not to forsake the children of Israel, not to forsake Moses. He'll be with them. This, my presence to go with you, literally what it means is my face will go with you. My face, the countenance of God. You can't really see the face of God. No one can see his face and live. But God's saying, my countenance, my favor upon you, my smile upon you, my face, watching you and protecting over you, my face will go with you. God will keep his promises. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I've quoted that verse to the Lord many times. Lord, you said, if I'm faithless, you'll remain faithful because there's been times where I've not been faithful, I've been faithless. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. It's always to his glory. He's glorified that he's the only one that can ever truly keep any guarantee. 
2 Corinthians 7, 1, it tells us, Therefore, having these pr- promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, once we realize and believe the promises and guarantees of God, the grace He's given, it has a cleansing effect. It has an aha moment, or it should, to say, Lord, I've really not counted your grace as precious and a promise as I should. But Moses does. And not only does he take this promise of God going with him, but because he's in such a fervent and deep prayer with the Lord, such deep intimacy with God, deeper intimacy than a husband and wife, deeper intimacy than any relationship, he's come to know God in a way that very few have experienced, but yet is open to all. He asks God for even more, doesn't he? He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. You talk about boldly entering the throne room of grace. He so is abiding in grace that it's the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to remember, the Holy Spirit, when you're in the power of the Holy Spirit, the book of Jude says to pray in the Spirit. You know that, right? Pray in the Spirit. Now, what happens? You start praying in obedience. The Holy Spirit, who's already in the heart of a believer can envelop and fill the believer to the fact that the thoughts you start thinking are actually coming from the Spirit. And the Spirit puts on His heart, ask for my glory. Knowing that God won't give him the whole glory of God, but yet it's the Spirit that's pouring out into Moses' heart saying, ask for my presence, ask for my presence, ask for my glory. But you know what? God's going to keep the promise of showing him the full glory, isn't he? Isn't it beautiful then in the New Testament, there on the Mount of Transfigurations? Who's standing there with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Moses standing there glorified himself, not glorified like God, but in a new, he doesn't look like you know he's going to be in a different composition than his, than his human body. But Jesus, we know, unveils his glory for a moment, and Moses is standing there with Elijah, chit-chatting with the Lord. Not just chit-chatting, they're preparing him for the cross. But to the point that God shows part of the promise, but the fullness of it will still be delivered. He asked for more. He wants more of the Lord. You know, sometimes we sing that song, Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I need more of you. Living breath of God, come fill me up. And when the living breath of God fills us up, weirdly, we keep praying for more of God. The very thing that made us pray for God makes us pray more for God. Why I often reference that passage, to those who have, more will be given. To those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away. Moses has the greatest love for the Lord of his his peer group in the world probably at this time. And yet God gives him an even greater desire again and again. He continues to fall more in love with the Lord. He wants to see God's glory. You know, just like you can't conjure up the desire, you can't conjure up the desire to think and desire the things of the Lord, like His presence. 
you can't conjure up a desire to want more of his presence. It's only when you dwell in his presence that God gives you the desire to want more of his presence. Does that make sense? He changes my thinking. He renew, the Bible says he renews our mind, renews it, creates in us a clean and steadfast spirit. You can't create a clean and steadfast spirit. You can only receive a clean and steadfast spirit. Do you understand that? You cannot make yourself clean. You can only ask to be cleaned. And God will do it. You can't make yourself say, you know, I, you know somebody say, boy, I wish I could love God like so-and-so does. You can hang out a lot with God. But you can't just wake up on Monday morning and say, today I'm going to love God more than anyone else on planet Earth. doesn't work. You've got to spend and abide with the Lord. But when you do... God will begin to show you his glory, which is exactly what Moses asked for here. Regardless of how we feel, your feelings are irrelevant. Regardless of how you feel, ignore your feelings. Doesn't matter how you feel. Well, I don't know if I feel that way. You obey, you seek, you pursue the Lord, you spend time in his presence, then the desire will grow. Then the desire will grow. I don't feel like this electric socket's going to work. Stick your finger in. You'll find out. It's working fine. It needs to be applied. You know, Job loved, as we close with his glory here, Job loved and walked with God for years, didn't he? But he longed to see God face to face. Same as Moses. And Job 19, verse 25, 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives... And he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, that is in my flesh, I shall see God. Job said, look, I may lose everything else on earth, but I'm going to get to see God face to face. Not on this earth, because no man in the sinful body can see the Lord and live just as Moses was not allowed to see the Lord's face. But God will begin to show us his glory in his word, in his spirit, in the supernatural things that God will do in our life. We begin to see his glory, and we never can take credit for it, can we? Which is a good thing. 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about to all who loved his appearing. Do you long for the appearing of the Lord? Do you love his appearing? Do you long for it? Do you want to see him more? The more of the Lord we have, the more of the Lord we will desire. Now, it's interesting Think about that thought. The more of the Lord we have, the more of the Lord we desire. There's a parallel that's a bad parallel. We often see all over the world, the more money and pleasure people have, the more money and pleasure they want. Isn't that interesting? The only thirst that we are allowed to have unlimited of is a thirst for God. All other thirsts are forbidden in the same way. You can have an unlimited thirst for God, and God will keep raising the water level and then continually showing you more of his glory. But if if you take anything else and substitute the same kind of thirst, it'll never quench, ever. That's why Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world? 
So what? He won't be satisfied. Everyone that has achieved, they're never really satisfied, are they? Need a little bit more. Need a little bit more. This is why Jesus said it's impossible to love God and mammon or the God of money. Luke 16, 13, Jesus said, No servant can love two masters or serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve God and mammon. Impossible. You can't love God and this world, God and money. But there's no restraints. Isn't that wonderful? There's no restraints, no limits to how much we can love God. The only limit is our own. God would continue to open up more and more capacity that we know the depth and breadth of the love of Christ. This world and the things in this world absolutely have limits. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. They could have as much of what God allowed as they wanted. They could not have what God didn't allow. What did they want? What God didn't allow. But you can have, God says, I'll give you all of me you possibly could want. But I like that tree over there. No, 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 you can't have that. But it looks like it'll satisfy me. It won't. Are you sure? Uh, I've got several billion people in world history to prove it. Yes. Let me try it. I'll probably be the first exception to the rule. Isn't that what people think? And Moses says, no, no, no. I've seen the pharaohs. I've seen them all worship themselves, and it all ends up in futility. God, I'm going to hunger and thirst for you. Show me your glory. I've seen the glory of pharaohs. I've seen the glory of Egypt. I want to see your glory. Moses' desire for the Lord to see his face, it was tested by the Spirit of God, and it was found to be pure and holy and for the right reasons. God will test our motives, won't he? The things that we ask for, the Spirit will test, why are we asking this? What do you really want? Do you want me, or do you want to tell everybody, I just saw God? Have you? These cool things happen to me, apparently, you know? There's ministries where people brag about all the things that they've done. This is not of the Lord. The only reason this is recorded is God, the Holy Spirit says, record it. Moses was not looking for anyone else to know about this. It was just him and God. I just want to see a glimpse of your glory. God telling all of us, I will show you more of me if you truly come in the right heart and the right obedience and the right level of humility, not in pride, not seeking some sign like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, not testing the Lord, but simply he wants to see his heavenly father, the one that's adopted him. You can never understate Numbers 12.3 about the heart of Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. You want to know the key to growing closer to God than you ever thought possible? Humility. You saw it in his prayer. I found grace. I found grace. I found grace. I found grace. Not does Moses say, look, Lord, I did this. Remember, I helped you part the Red Sea. Remember, I stood up to Pharaoh. I was bold. First, I thought I had a stuttering problem, but then I overcame it. Remember that? 
He doesn't say any of that. He says, I found grace. I found grace. All the best works you and I have ever done are still filthy rags. And Moses believed that. His humility, you know, we live in such a prideful world, but there's an insight here to this deeper relationship. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can become a lot more humble than I am. How about you? There's no... There's nowhere near the humility God can still take me to. I pray he is taking me to, and I will continue to willingly die to, to become more humble. I still see pride rise up. How about yourself? And it rises up in ways that you don't really recognize as pride, but the longer you walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will show you. No, no, that's not, you weren't offended, that's pride. No one stepped on your toes, that's pride. Flat, unadulterated pride. And the more it dies in us, the more of the glory of God we will see. And so God rewards and honors request, but only to the extent which Moses can handle, still in a body that has not yet been brought into heaven and all sin removed. God says, here's the deal. I'm going to give you an experience unique in all the scriptures, probably unique in all of time. I'm going to show you the back of my glory. I'm going to hide you in this rock. And what will Jesus, one of Jesus' name, what is it? The rock. The rock of offense. I'm going to hide you in the rock, which was pointing to the only way we'll ever see God's glory in the future will be in the rock of Christ. I'm going to hide you in the rock. You'll be put into the rock of Christ. And then and only then, Right now, just a foreshadow, but later we know there on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is not hiding in a rock. He's talking face to face with God in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll hide you in the rock. I will keep my promises, but I'll even let you go deeper. I'll let you see more of me. Only what you can handle at this time. Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give His grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Some of the things won't be given to us until we get to heaven. Many of them will be given to us now if we would only press and obey and yield to the Lord. The extent of our love is many times the hindrance, but God will give it all to us in eternity as we continue to desire more of him now. And God does. He passes by. He goes ahead in verse 22, so it shall be when my glory passes by you that I'll cover you in the cleft of the rock. He says, I'm going to show you all of my goodness in, in verse 19. And he passes by. He would prepared this special place for Moses, a picture of Christ. He passes by the glory And when we get to chapter 34, at the end of chapter 34, we'll see it has a transforming effect. You know, you can't catch a new glimpse of the glory of God and not be profoundly affected. And Moses will, and he already had a close walk with the Lord, and it's going to become even closer. But God still continues to give men and women who yield and surrender themselves more of his glory. You know, and... uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he said, others beyond the Bible times have also experienced glimpses 
of this glory. Have you ever read of Jonathan Edwards describing his experience of it while he was in a forest there kneeling in prayer for about an hour? Have you read of David Brainerd, the great apostle to the American Indians, experiencing the glory of God and literally sweating though it was cold and though it was freezing all around him? What was the cause of this sweating? Oh, it was the glory, the character, the transcendence of the glory. And to give a man who is much nearer to ourselves, in Martin Lloyd-Jones' time, D.L. Moody, a very strong man physically, a sturdy man, and yet when God gave him just a glimpse of his glory, he had to ask to desist and hold back his hand because he felt it was killing him. And he is not the only one to have felt that men and women that have also experienced just a glimpse of God's glory. But ultimately, not only the glory, it's to be hidden in the Lord. To, to have that assurance that I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, just as we sang earlier this morning, hide, hid in the cleft of the rock. 1 John 4, 16 tells us, and we have known and believed that God has for, uh, and known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You don't need a mountain rock. God says, I will hide you in myself. And it's the Lord's desire, if you look at this text that we've looked at this morning, it's the Lord's desire that we would go forward into the world only standing in God's grace. Amen? Only standing in His grace. Knowing that we're kept by His grace. Cleansed by His grace. Strengthened daily by His grace. And His Spirit's presence. And then, as we then are abiding in the Lord, drawing nearer, experience His presence, then we reflect His glory, which we'll see even more at the end of chapter 34. And out of that will come a life where flowing from us will be love truth, joy, peace, the opposite of what flows from people that are not in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness and the surety of your word. Lord, we know that you don't desire even for a second to resist giving us more of you. Rather, Lord, it's we who often resist and do not desire to have more of you in our life. Because so often, Lord, we're more, we're more thankful for your blessings than we are for you. We love that you've given us certain things, and we now, at times, love those things more than we love you. And Lord, your desire is that we would love you, not the things you've given us. That we would be like Moses, that we'd recognize the pride in our life and humble ourselves, realizing that all that we have is but by your grace, your amazing grace. We stand in it, we're discipled by it, we're strengthened by it.